Welcome back. I'm glad you stopped by. We were, in fact, expecting you. Our most recent guests have come to know about your unique appetite for horrifying tales. Oh, don't worry. I don't think any of them know you're here. Perhaps I spoke too soon. <laughs> but here, have a seat, get comfortable, and let us begin. Bad things happen to good people. It's unavoidable. Mr. Paisley, however, should have paid more attention to his surroundings. Maybe if he'd done so, he would have spared himself a date with a timeless fiend. If there's a lesson to be learned from his experience, I would believe that it would be that evil is truly universal. What are you going to do to me? I asked, groggy from whatever the stranger used to paralyze me. Why, I intend to devour every last drop of pain I can wring from your flaccid, prickling skin, answered the man who had stolen me from my parked car and carried me off into the woods. He continued, intuiting my next question. My name is the sound of an endless hunger which you cannot pronounce, Mr. Paisley. But I will tell you that I am a scream eater. My kind have lived amongst you and yours for centuries now, growing fat and perhaps a bit flaccid ourselves. From the succulent agony we wrench free from your delicate and tender flesh. Fragile lot that you are. I was upright in a lopsided wooden chair. The darkness of my surroundings alleviated only by the rivulets of moonlight trickling through the narrow but ample holes in the wall, faintly illuminating the interior of an old barn. My captor seemed unremarkable in most regards, save for his movements, which were unusually graceful. Not one wasted action, and yet there was a slight flourish to them nonetheless each flowing free and casual, but joined in absolute precision. My eyes moved past my immediacy, settling upon something vast yet indistinct pocketed into the hazy darkness of an adjoining room. The scream eater followed my gaze like a spider creeping along a quivering length of silk, slowly drawing upon its entangled prey. As his own eyes alighted upon the ambiguous object, he turned to me, brandishing a cold smile that tested the limits of his face. Oh, that. Unfortunately, when my kind crossed over to your world, we were forced to leave our bodies behind to make do with these frail accommodations, he said, gesturing to his various limbs. Given the extent of our new limitations, we were forced to develop alternative and wholly external methods for satisfying ourselves. To that end, we become quite adept at an especially esoteric form of mechanical engineering. Machines, Mr. Paisley, like nothing you can imagine, designed solely for the purposes of distilling and extracting purest pain in all its many delicious and exquisitely varied forms. We call these wonderful, though completely utilitarian constructs of ours, tortuaries, but you will learn all about them soon enough. He renewed his icy smile, bringing his face close to my own. I could make out slight variations in the formal geometries that govern the placement of human eyes, noses, and lips, suggesting some truth to my captor's claim of inhumanity. It was his lips, oddly enough, that gave him away. They were overly small, even vestigial, like they'd been used only occasionally and with ever-diminishing frequency. It showed within his speech as well. His mouth quivered and strained to properly frame his words. It gave the initial impression of someone speaking with a slight accent. I feel you already know more than is required, so I think we'll proceed with the next leg of our little journey together. He lifted me from my chair with surprising ease and took me before the mysterious object, 
laying me gently upon the floor in front of it, a gift. The thing itself is a profane marriage of machine and nightmare, heavily arrayed with mechanically articulated torture devices which partook in no small number of hooks, rusty knives, red-hot pokers, acid vats, bone-tooth saw blades, live wires and tanks of insects, all of them forming the internal organs of an immense statue of a screaming, alien-looking hermaphrodite. The anguished figure's lethal innards were revealed as if its belly had been crudely torn open. Its flesh, a thick riveted layer of deeply tarnished bronze, and despite the unliving elements of its composition, its rictus of ceaseless pain seemed all too organic. I was silent and powerless before the specter of the tortuary. Despite my faithlessness, I prayed for a quick death. The man once again addressed matters unspoken. You should not hope for a premature death, Mr. Paisley. Realize that while my kind have been restricted to these weakling, inchoate bodies, we are nevertheless reacquiring our original capabilities, albeit only at the sluggish rate permitted by the limited genetic resources of our earthly biologics. The point I'm trying to make is that I've recently regained the use of my natural venoms, some far more potent and long-lasting than even the type I used to paralyze you. You see, my kind can excrete a sort of etheric toxin, you might call it. Once introduced into our prey's body, it refuses the migration of the soul allowing us to generate and maintain levels of physical pain and destruction that would normally prove hopelessly fatal. You should also know that our appetites are no less sated by the torment of the mind as well as the body. Which is of course why I'm telling you all of this. Just a dash of seasoning before you're bound for the oven. The man, extra-dimensional, scream-eater, monster, held his hand in front of my face, allowing me to watch as a barbed length of glistening sinew pushed itself through what seemed a fresh cut in his wrist. It struck like a viper, its tip disappearing into my chest. Immediately, I felt every one of my nerve endings bristle, hypersensitive to the slightest stimulus. The dust that collided with my face felt like the stinging of bees, and the moonlight that held upon my hands smarted with biting cold. I screamed. Did I forget to mention my venom also heightens the sensitivities of those I inject it with? Explained the pain eater, clearly pleased with himself. I thought my torture would break into laughter at my cries, but he only tilted back his head and breathed deeply, moaning passionately. The machine seemed to come alive of its own volition, a shark awakened by reddened waters. Mechanical arms unfurled mantis-like from the tortuary, reaching out for me. The process of pain distillation was about to begin in earnest. I don't know how long it went on. Hours? Weeks? All I remember is the sudden sound of dogs and men invading the madness of monsters and machines. The powerful beams of flashlights pushed through the cracks of the walls, pitching light into every room. Faces filled my vision, calling my name. Mayor Paisley, can you hear us? The ramshackle barn doors were flung wide and the room filled with the bustle of rescuers and the mechanic flashing of emergency strobes. As for my captor and his terrible machine, nothing. Two shadows flown in the light. After all the commotion of my ordeal died away and I was left to my memories, what I learned, what might return for me, what it could do to me, my life became merely a toy of fear. Every night I shivered behind bolted doors and security cameras, recalling with painful clarity the awful touch of the scream eater. I find no shame in admitting it was too much for me to bear. I suppose I was foolish to think I could end it all so easily. Here I sit, two bullets in the brain, yet no closer to the afterlife for my troubles. The monstrous etheric toxin had done its work, perhaps too well. Did it know it would last this long? Does it even wear off? All I can do is wait. I'm sure that when you go to the circus, 
the last thing you'd expect to find is horror. Yet it always manages to weave itself in. When a little girl is in need of assistance, an unusual acquaintance will answer to her plea. It's hard to believe that such a small girl wouldn't be afraid of his makeup, of his freakishly large grin, or his creepy antics. I guess clowns really aren't scary after all. <laughs> Why are you crying? Asked a rosy-cheeked clown to a sobbing little girl. She replied with a sniffle. I've lost my parents in this big crowd. Whoa! Gasped the clown, remaining in character. <laughs> well, why don't we go look for him? The clown reached out for the girl to take his hand. She did with a nod. <laughs> now, where was the last place you left him, little one? His shaky voice gave way to the human underneath the paint. At the cotton candy booth, cried the girl, pointing just ahead of their present location. I told my mommy I wanted some cotton candy and she told daddy. So daddy gave me the money and I gave it to the lady. Then she gave me the cotton candy. When I turned around, Mommy and Daddy were gone. Please, oh please, Mr. Clown, you've got to find my Mommy and Daddy. Please. The clown was taken by the little girl's distress and led her straight to the cotton candy booth, waving a finger towards the cotton candy lady and smiling as a good clown should. <laughs> oh, miss, cried the clown. <laughs> miss, you didn't happen to see where this young lady's Mommy and Daddy went, did you? The clown's voice was squeaky and cheerful, but the girl's cheeks were soaked in tears. The cotton candy lady looked down at the girl and shook her head. No. Candy lady to the clown as she leaned from her booth window. When did you see them last? The clown looked back down toward the little girl as she rubbed her red cheeks once again. She spoke. It couldn't have been more than five minutes ago, ma'am. The girl sniffled again. And you're sure they were here the last time you were with them? Asked the clown. The girl nodded. The woman reached back into her booth and pulled out two sticks of cotton candy. Well, I sure wish I could help you too. She sighed with unease. But you can check the lost parents office next to the Ferris wheel. She smiled. She handed the cotton candy to the clown and his little lost child. Here. She smiled. Two for the road, on the house. The clown yucked in appreciation and the girl forced a smile. The two turned to make their way to the lost parents office. The clown attempted to skip to lighten the mood for the young one. It didn't help. The little girl wiped her nose with the clown's glove. He shivered with an unsure but goofy laugh and walked on. The clown rang the office bell until someone responded. Annoyed, the office worker asked in his least helpful voice, what can I do for you? The clown sneered at the impatient tender before he obliged. <laughs> this little girl is lost, he squeaked again. Have you seen her parents? The worker rolled his eyes and picked up his ledger. Scrolling through, he asked, uh, What was your name again, little girl? The little girl dropped her hand down to her side and gave him her name. <laughs> That's such a lovely name! The clown chuckled. Again, the tender huffed in contempt and fingered his clipboard, almost unwillingly. <sighs> no, child. He said apathetically, no one is looking for you, sorry. He shut his window. The clown was very upset with the office worker's deliberate atrophy. For a moment, he looked away and dropped his bearing, but only for a moment. He then giggled and stated, <laughs> I'm sure someone is looking for you. He licked his cotton candy and thought, well, 
he said with intent. What do mommy and daddy look like? Then maybe I can look for them with you. His smile was full of hopeful ignorance. The little girl began to describe her parents to the helpful Harlequin. Well... She had just stopped crying to answer his question. My daddy is real tall. Has a mustache and no hair, so he just wears a silly hat. Mommy is skinny. She doesn't really look forward when she walks. Real small nose and lots of makeup. Almost as much as you. The clown laughed, and he laughed. He doubled over in laughter. When he calmed down, he put his left foot forward as to strut and looked at his new friend. <laughs> well, let's go find him, shall we? The little girl, now happier, nodded with a giggle. The two marched, hand in hand, on through the multiplying crowds. They asked nearly every carny, patron, and police officer they could find. None had any reports of a missing girl all day long. The sun was setting. The carnival was just about to, sh to shut down. The clown knew he had failed the little girl, so he took her to the front gate and kneeled in front of her. I... I'm sorry, ma'am, he said in a less cheerful, more human voice. I... I don't know where your parents are, but... But I'll leave you here. That way, if, if they pass by, you can catch up to them. His makeup had started running from sweat, and it was clouding up his vision. He stood back up, took off his glove, and wiped his face. I... I truly am sorry, little one. The little girl tugged his pant leg before he walked away and signaled for him to lean back down. He smiled again with a smeared face and stooped to her level. She whispered in his ear, I've always hated clowns. She drew a knife from the cotton candy stick and impaled the clown through his sternum. He fell forward, wheezing in an attempt to moan. He shook violently, eventually folding inward. The office worker and the cotton candy lady walked up to the little girl. The office worker looked down at the lifeless clown. <laughs> and that, my dear, is how you face your fears, he said. Wow, Mommy and Daddy, you were right, the girl giggled. Clowns really aren't scary after all. Ever have the unexplainable feeling that you've lived through something before? An emergency medical technician once did after arriving to a horrendous accident. It's easier to ignore the signs than to heed them. But when the signs become events, one can only wonder how feeble your will is against the whims of fate. My dad used to work as an EMT back in his 20s while he saved up money for med school. Growing up, I always pestered him to tell me gross and gory details from his time in the ambulance. He used to appease me, much to mother's disapproval. Girls shouldn't be hearing these kind of stories, my mother would clip at us from behind a newspaper. My dad would only smirk and wink at me. No daughter of mine is going to be squeamish, that's for sure. He'd retort as he'd pat me on the knee. She's going to hear all my stories, no matter how bloody or filled with vomit. Well, if she's fucked up, it's your doing, my mother would huff. I didn't care if it wasn't girly to listen to my dad's stories. I always loved them. He told me a story about the time where him and his partner found a severed foot hanging from a tree limb in the local park. His buddy and him tried to get it down with a broom and a coat hanger. They were only successful when the foot came crashing down on his partner's head, covering him in pus and blood. The owner of the foot came limping out of his trailer, cursing at my dad for disturbing his property. I also learned about the time when my dad was called over to an old lady's house on Christmas Eve. 
No one was hurt, but the old woman was so lonely that she faked a heart attack to get someone to come and sit with her for Christmas Eve dinner. My dad stayed for four courses. He came back every year after that until she passed away one spring morning. We all attended the funeral with him. And I even heard about the time when he was called to untangle two teenagers who got a piercing stuck in, let's just say delicate places. From broken bones to bloody accidents, my dad has seen it all. And he shared it all. Well, at least I thought he had. That is, until a few hours ago when we polished off the last of the scotch we had on the shelf. We were sitting on the front porch, watching the rain hammer into the street, collecting in big sluggish pools. I set my glass down on the end table and leaned back on the rocking chair. We were silent for a minute, listening to the thunder roll across the small Pennsylvania town. What's the worst thing you ever saw as an EMT? I asked, more out of boredom than genuine curiosity. I was sure he would reiterate the story about the time he found a kid who was hit by a drunk driver, his stuffed bunny, you know, still clutched in his bloody hand. My dad was silent for so long that I thought he must have fallen asleep. I turned towards him, only to find him staring hard into the night, his knuckles gripping the wooden chair so hard that I swear they were starting to look white. Papa? I murmured afraid I had upset him. He ran his hands through his graying hair and rubbed his temples. He looked at me and smiled sadly. Did I ever tell you why I quit? I thought you quit because you got into med school. He chuckled. Nah, nah, that wasn't the reason. I quit a few months before I even began applying. He took another sip of his drink and swirled the contents around with his pinky. The ice clinked against the glass lightly. You know how I told you how I was close with the town folk? Since it was such a small town, my dad pretty much knew everyone he worked with. He knew the local cops, the firefighters, the doctors, hell, even the street cleaners. My dad had always told me about his friend Frank on the Force or his buddy at the firehouse. I guess when you're in such close proximity to other people, relationships tend to bubble. Well, I never told you about Paul, that's for sure, he sighed. My ears perked up. No, I don't think you ever did. Paul was the town coroner. Well, actually, he was the only coroner our town had. See, we were so small that we really only needed one. He paused then, taking another sip of his diminishing drink. I guess you could say that Paul and I were real close. I saw him almost every time we had a bad shift, which was a lot back in the day. He exhaled. Drunk drivers, idiotic teenagers, angry men who beat up their wives. I guess that all led to some pretty bad shifts. The rain began to pound harder against our roof. I scooted my chair closer to my dad so I could hear him over the roaring of the storm. He smiled and patted my knee, his eyes lingering on mine longer than they normally would have. Paul had a son named Kenny, he murmured, his eyes dampening. He, uh, well, he wasn't exactly the best son. See, he was a big partier, always up and in some sort of trouble or another. Nothing too crazy, just just a few drug busts and some childish fights. Local kids always joke that he worshipped the devil. (laughs) I mean, 
He had a temper, I'd reckon that at least. But Paul always handled it well. He was firm with the boy, maybe too firm, but firm enough to where he made sure that Kenny knew that if he ever got behind the wheel drunk, he would never step foot in their house again. My dad paused for a moment, collecting himself. He watched the storm as I watched his aged face, noticing the wrinkles that lined his eyes for the first time. He seemed smaller than I remembered, more human. Well, I guess Paul wasn't firm enough with Kenny. Or maybe Kenny was just going through a phase or something like you teenagers do. He smiled sadly back at me. Like when you dyed your hair pink just to piss off your mother. She hated it, but I always thought it was beautiful. Yeah, I chuckled. I almost forgot about that. Huh, she was real pissed when you did that. Thought you were defying her or something. My dad took another sip of his drink. But I knew that you were just testing the boundaries. Maybe Kenny was too. Dad? I asked softly. What happened to Kenny? It was a long shift. Fifteen hours, I'd say. Me and my partner Bud were real tired. It was the night of the full moon. I know that you and your mother think it's horseshit, but weird stuff always happens on a full moon. I don't know why. Maybe people just like to cause trouble. Or maybe it's something else. But we were finally nearing the end of the long shift. We had already dealt with a drunken brawl, a beat-up wife, and some old lady who tried to cut her knickers off with a paring knife. My dad finished the last of his drink, wincing as the scotch hit the back of his throat. We were called to the scene of a car accident, a real bad one, too. Apparently, some car had been going 120 miles an hour in a 30-mile-per-hour zone. It barreled right into the side of a tree and wrapped itself around its trunk real good. The whole thing burst into flames on the scene. The fire crew was able to put it out pretty quick, but they needed our help treating the crash victims. When we arrived on the scene, we could tell that it was going to be a lost cause. Three fire trucks were lined up on the side of the road, accompanied by no less than five police cars. This was bad. Bud and I both knew it. Scorch marks littered the road, leading us to the dented and smoking mess of a car that stood before us. Its metal was hot to the touch, glowing dimly against the moonlight. Its front hood was completely wrapped around a massive oak tree before it. We tiptoed around melted metal and pools of blood. Now that I look back on it, those were pretty weird signs. I don't think a car is supposed to get so hot that the metal melts right off of it. But me and Bud didn't think about it in the moment. We thought about the victims. Were they still alive? I asked, my breath caught in my throat. My dad nodded slightly, just barely. How did they survive that kind of a crash? Because they weren't human. I paused, waiting for the punchline that never came. The storm lessened above us, the rain now falling in gentle drops. When we got to the driver's side, we knew instantly that something was wrong. The driver was burnt to a crisp. Its skin was black and charred, and its hands, its hands were, were still wrapped around the steering wheel. We thought for sure it was dead. I mean, it had to be, but it wasn't. It turned its head to look right at me. My dad paused for a second, catching his wavering breath. I swear 
It looked right at me and it spoke. It told me to tell its dad that it was sorry, that it never meant to be a bad boy. It told me that it never meant to kill her. He just got carried away. Dad, he put his hand up. Don't interrupt me. But my dad looked at me with steely eyes and I closed my mouth. It told me all of those things and then it turned its head back to the steering wheel and it was quiet. It wasn't breathing anymore. So Bud and I are able to get the driver out of the car and put it in a body bag. Then we move over to the passenger side and I I swear that's the part that really killed me. It was a kid, a small kid, a girl I think. She was burnt the same way the driver was, the same impossible way. Her mouth was pulled tight into a wide smile, teeth still intact. She wasn't breathing either, so we loaded her up too. We talk to the police officers and the firemen for a bit, and they all say the same thing, that they didn't know what happened. They imagined that the driver just lost control because he was going so fast. But no one ever reported a car going that fast on that road. Not even one call came through. In fact, the only call that came through in that location was from an out-of-date phone booth. And it was static. Just static and the name of the road, Devil's Run. Hell, the phone booth didn't even work no more. So they don't know how that call was ever placed to begin with. So me and Bud go to move the bodies to the hospital, and that's when we get a better look at the car. It's still a mess, mind you, but now we have time to examine it. Bud goes up to the plate and nearly faints. He calls me over and asks if I recognize the numbers that are still intact. And I do. I recognize them better than my own license plate. It's Paul's car. I've seen it every day of my life. Did Paul... My dad shook his head. No. No, I knew Paul was working that night. I had already seen him when I took in the old lady who bled out. So, so it was Kenny? I asked, clutching the edge of my seat. My dad shook his head again. That's a... That's what we thought too. So we call into dispatch to let them know that this would be our last run. We wanted to tell Paul ourselves. So we get to the morgue and Paul is all bright and cheerful. He's just excited that his shift is ending soon. And we just crack. We crack right then and there in front of him. Bud tells him that we have some bad news and I just stay stone silent. I let Bud tell him that we think we have his son. And the entire time, the entire fucking time, Paul just stares at me like he can't believe I could be such a silent coward. But Paul is brave. He tells us he needs to examine the body, son or not. We protest, tell him that we can find somebody else to handle the autopsy, but he persists. He says he has to know. He has to know so that he can tell his wife. So I stay with him. I stay with him for hours watching him work under the harsh fluorescent lights of the lab. And Paul, fuck, Paul held it together. He was stone-faced and straight-backed. And when he completed the autopsy, he turned to stare at me, and he nodded. He said that I was right, that it was Kenny. He told me that Kenny had knee surgery as a kid, and the knee matched the body lying on the table before him, steel plates and all. 
Dental records matched too. It was Kenny, all right. There was no going around it. So I drive with Paul back to his wife. He didn't want to tell her alone. I don't think anyone could do that. So I followed him up to his front door, my hand on his shoulder. He nods at me and opens the door with his key. His wife is sitting on the sofa, drinking a glass of wine. Her happy face bubbles into confusion as she sees me standing there. I guess I must have looked like I've seen a ghost or something. Paul leaves me in the doorway and he moves towards her, his back slumping forward. That's when he starts crying. Shit, he barely even made it to the couch. He just falls on his knees in front of her and cries, telling her that her son is dead. Oh my god, I whisper. That's horrible. My dad just shook his head back at me. That's not the worst part. See, the wife is just sitting there, listening to her husband, and then her face goes real dark. She's furious. She smacks Paul hard across the face and tells him that this was the worst prank he's ever pulled on her. Now, Paul is just dumbfounded. He's sitting there on his knees in front of her, tears just pouring down his face. His wife stands up and glares at me. I swear, her eyes could have burned a hole in my head. I don't know what to do, so I just start stammering about how we found Kenny's body and how Paul identified him by his knee surgery and the dental records. Paul's wife goes real quiet-like. Then, she looks up towards the stairs and yells Kenny's name. A few seconds later, Kenny comes barreling down the stairs, annoyed that his video game was interrupted. Kenny was alive? I stammer. My dad nodded slowly. We didn't know what to think. Apparently, Kenny had had too much to drink at the local pub, so we called a taxi to take him home. He left his car there at the bar. My dad laughed shortly. I guess Paul's firmness really did make an impression on him. With the drunk driving, at least. I don't understand, I said. Yeah, my dad said gruffly. We didn't either. So Paul and I headed over to the pub where Kenny says he left his car, and lo and behold, it's still there. It's in pristine condition, license plate and all. Not a scratch on it from what we could tell. Then what happened to the car you guys found wrapped around a tree trunk? I asked. My dad ran his hands through his hair. Well, it was still there too. After we found the car at the pub, we headed back to the scene of the accident. The car was still there, seeing as how the fire crew hadn't been able to remove it so quickly. Paul was confounded. He said it was the same exact car. There was even a charred disco ball hanging off of the rearview mirror, the same one he had in the car at the pub. It even had the same initials carved into it, P.M.K., his full name. But that's impossible, my dad interrupted. I know, but that's not the end of the story. What about the people, the two bodies? Well, my dad said, that's what we looked into next. We headed over to the morgue where we left the teenager and the little girl. When we got there, the two bodies were gone, straight up and vanished. The security footage didn't notice a thing, and the records, those were gone too. My dad paused for a moment as we both stared off into the distance. The rain had almost stopped entirely, 
creating a strange calm that seemed almost unsettling rather than enjoyable. Dad? I asked hesitantly. I know you think one of the bodies was Kenny, but what about the other girl? My dad frowned, scratching his head. That's the part that scares me most. We don't know. We looked into missing persons reports and we couldn't find nothing. Sure, there were a few missing persons reports of little girls, but the bodies were always found. They were always, um, abused to some degree, but not burnt. Nothing like this. And that boy's body was Kenny's. Paul swears by it. We were quiet for a long time after that, listening to the night begin to murmur back at us. I quit the next day, my dad whispered. I never went back to that road or that hospital. What about Paul? I asked. My dad shook his head. Uh, well, he took his own life after what happened next. What happened, Dad? I asked hesitantly. I wasn't sure if I wanted to hear any more. My dad blew his nose into his handkerchief and wiped his teary eyes. I hadn't even realized he'd started crying. Kenny, Kenny was a bad kid. He was a bad kid, all right. My dad sobbed. A few months later, they found him in bed with a, a, a little girl, no more than 12. She had been dead for a while. How could he? He had been doing it for a while, they reckon. Picking up little kids in that car and touching them, hurting them, killing, keeping. I, I, don't, I don't know how he could have done something like that. But when they caught him, he took off in the car with the girl's body. He was speeding real fast. Too fast. Devil's run? I asked. My dad just nodded, too emotional to say anything more. He crashed, didn't he? I probed. My dad nodded again, blowing his nose into his handkerchief. Paul wasn't the same after that, he murmured. Paul gouged his eyes out a month later on the next full moon. He was in the morgue when he did it. He took a scalpel to his eyeballs and he just, just kept going. No one found him till morning, and by then, he had cut his arteries out one by one. Dad, I'm so... It's fine, he interrupted. It was a long time ago. We sat in silence once more. The crickets had finally come out after the storm, blanketing the night in sound. My dad played with his empty glass, cupping it between his hands. Papa, I began. If the crash didn't happen for a few months later, who did you see in the car that night? My dad gently put the glass back on the table, looking up at me stoically. I saw Kenny. I saw Kenny and the girl he would murder. We sat side by side and watched the full moon rise above the night sky. My dad turned back towards me and grabbed my hand. Warnings are everywhere. We just have to listen. His grip was tighter than normal, almost painful. I know, Papa. Tell your mother I'm sorry, he pleaded, 
and then he got up and went back inside. I've been sitting here all night, typing this out. I'm too afraid to go back inside the house. Too afraid of what I will find waiting for me. See, my mother has been dead for six months. Hey, are you okay? You went really quiet for a moment there. <laughs> I hope our guest stories didn't leave the wrong impression on you. <laughs> Come again? You need to get going? Hmm. It's a bit early to brave out into the night, don't you think? Why don't you stay a bit longer? Our guest won't mind. No? Alright then. Off you go. But do stop by again. We'll be waiting for you. Probably with some new stories I'm sure you'll find amusing. Goodbye for now, my dear friend. And now it's announcement time. Before we see you leave, I'd like to take a moment and thank the people who provided their voices to read the horror tales, along with everyone else who has been involved with bringing the horror to life, here at the Cursed Inn. We'd also like to send a special thanks to the talented writers of Malatopia for sharing their stories with the Cursed Inn. You can find more about our partners on our descriptions page. If you're a writer and you think your story is sinister enough to be featured on our podcast, or if you'd like to volunteer as a voice actor, send us your demo to thecursedin at gmail.com. We're always looking for new stories and talents to scare our guests. Don't forget to check out our page on Facebook and Twitter for updates. We'll see you very, very soon.